0: I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me, first of all, to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And we'll read the verses 9 to 22. Deuteronomy 18. The Lord is teaching His people how He'd like them to live when they get to the promised land. Let's read Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 to 22. 22 These are the words of the Lord When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium ...or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all the, who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord God your God has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet... Like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. According to all who desired of, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So far, the reading from the Old Testament. Now let's also turn to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to read Acts beginning chapter 7, and we'll begin at verse 54. So, Stephen has just given a sermon, Stephen was one of the seven men whom we heard about last week, and he 's just given a sermon telling the basically telling the Jews about their unbelief and telling them to repent and then we start reading in acts seven verse fifty four when they that 's the Jewish people heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth, but he, being full of the holy spirit that's Stephen gazed into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, And Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And now follows our text from verse 4 to verse 25 of chapter 8 Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is called the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that... Any one on whom I lay hands may receive the Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. brothers and sisters in Christ. I know a pastor who has a lot of interesting hobbies and one of those hobbies is drag racing. He owns a powerful car that he likes to take to the racing trip this racing strip, and he loves to talk about how fast it takes him to get from zero to a hundred. I can't remember, not many seconds. When he turns his engine on it sounds a little bit like an airplane starting up. I think there's some young people here and maybe some not so young people who, who like cars. I'm sure you can imagine what a powerful car engine sounds like. And now I don't know much about cars, but it's clear to me that he's driving a powerful engine. And on the back of his car, he has a sticker which says, If you want real power, get the gospel. If you want real power, get the gospel. And this morning we could summarize the message of our text by saying, If you want real power, get the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you thought Simon's tricks showed real power, well, here comes the Holy Spirit. If you thought that age-old division between Samaritans and Jews couldn't be overcome, well, the Holy Spirit shows that it can be done. And if you thought Simon could get away with his sly request for power, it turns out the Spirit has the power to see right through him. If you want real power, get the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the spirit, brothers and sisters, of Jesus Christ, the spirit whom he poured out on Pentecost, the spirit who is still active working right here today. Jesus, through his spirit, continues to gather and defend his church. He did that in Judea and Samaria, and he continues to do that here in Owen Sound. And so our text this morning reveals to us the power of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So we'll examine our text this morning with this title, Simon, the sorcerer, and the superior spirit. We'll first see how the spirit overcomes sorcery, or more generally, the power of evil. Our text comes on the heels of persecution. Stephen has just been martyred in Jerusalem. We just read about that. He's been killed for confessing the name of Jesus. And then chapter 8, verse 1 says that there was a severe persecution And the result of this persecution is that the church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 4 says that they took the word with them. They went everywhere preaching the word. So persecution had the effect of scattering the early church, but it didn't have the effect of stopping it. In fact, the believers just took the message of salvation with them. Jesus was their savior. They knew that they had eternal life with him, and this gave them hope. A hope that they talked about a hope that they infused into their conversations when they came to new places and where they, when they met new people. 8 verse 4 says that they preached the good news, but the Greek word simply means that they announced or they told good news. The This actually comes from the Greek word euangelizo, which, from where we get the word evangelism in English. And so we can already draw an application that all believers, not just the apostles, speak the good news about Jesus. Because knowing Jesus as our Savior means loving him. And if we love him, then naturally we want to talk about him as these believers did here. And and God will work through that as he did here in verse 4. All believers are involved in evangelism. But our text narrows in on Philip. Philip was one of the special men whom we heard about last week. Philip says, verse 5, he went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. Samaria is the place where the Samaritans lived. Perhaps you remember the story of Jesus when he went to the the woman and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now that was highly unusual because Jews and Samaritans didn't talk to each other. They didn't mix. They didn't even travel on each other's land. Jews and Samaritans, they had different ideas about worship. They worshipped on different mountains, different locations. And they even had a different Bible. Samaritans had only the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. So these two groups, they didn't get along. There was an age-old animosity between them. But look at what we have here. We have believers from Jerusalem spreading the good news to Samaria. In Judea and Samaria, and Philip is preaching in a city in Samaria... And so we can see that the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates into the most unlikely places, into the hardest places. And Luke also gives us some more background information about this city, about its cultural context. Because not only were they Samaritans, but they also had a sorcerer, a magic man. Simon, he did magic tricks and he amazed the people. The text makes it quite clear that he had some real power. Maybe, boys and girls, some of you know some magic tricks. Or you might know someone who can do card tricks. The sort of trick where you have a deck of cards and you hide a card and you try and get the other person to guess what it is. I know a pastor who was really good at those tricks. Not the same pastor with a racing car. But these card tricks, they're based on illusion. Normally, the person knows something that you don't. They hide a card somewhere somewhere. Where you're, when you're looking in a different direction. So you think that is magic, but it's only quick hand movements. But there's another type of magic. Another type of magic, which in our text is called sorcery, where the magician has real power, which is an evil power which comes from Satan. A sorcerer is someone who can do real tricks, more than just making an illusion. And this is the type of magic that Simon displayed. We don't know exactly what he did, but it's clear that he was doing something which amazed the people and he'd been doing it for a long time. The people in Samaria were in the grip of Simon's sorcery, in the grip of the power of evil. Actually, in the Bible times, there were a lot of these sorcerers. Even though God had made it quite clear to his people that his people were to stay away from all that stuff, Deuteronomy 18, we read from that. The Lord called it an abomination, an abomination. Instead of trying to manipulate the spirits, God's people were to rely on his spoken word through the prophets. The prophets, they revealed God's word, and this was what God's people were to listen to. But despite this, it seems that sorcery was very common throughout Israelite history, and also in the New Testament. And at least in our text, we can see here this morning that it had quite an impact on the culture in Samaria. In the world of that time, it was quite common to believe in lots of different gods or lots of different powers. Sorcery was a way to manipulate those powers, to access them. And so a sorcerer would say certain incantations and, and try and manipulate these powers. These incantations, they were quite common at the time and, and magicians even traded secrets between each other. It's a sort of thing you could find at the local bookstore, scrolls of secret incantations. Well, brothers and sisters, today, sorcery is something we might not hear about very often, but it is still a real thing. For example, you might have heard stories of witchcraft in South Africa or in Papua New Guinea, and and let's not forget that these things are real. We are fighting a spiritual battle, as Paul says in Ephesians 6. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But brothers and sisters, in comparison with these sorcery, our text this morning shows us the superior power of the Holy Spirit, superior to Simon's sorcery, mightier than his magic. Because when Simon, who seems like a powerful magician, when he saw Philip, he was amazed. You just notice the contrast here, a bit of irony. Because Simon was someone who amazed the people, he said that his, his name was great, but when he saw Philip, then he himself was amazed. He recognized real power. And he was a man who knew how to recognize power. He couldn't do the same things that Philip did. He couldn't cast out unclean spirits like Philip did. And he couldn't heal paralyzed and lame like Philip through the power of Jesus. And so Simon believed. He believed that Jesus has a greater power than this, his sorcery. This confirms what the Bible teaches us, that what Jesus himself said when he sent out his disciples in Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given to me, all authority in heaven and on earth, that is, including over all the spiritual forces of evil, including the magical arts that Simon practiced, including the spirits that he somehow manipulated. Jesus has authority over all that. Now, this is confirmed in our text when when Simon believes in Jesus' power and not the power of his own sorcery. Jesus, the one with all authority, proves his superiority through the power of the Spirit. And note that the Spirit uses Philip's words. In verse 6, it says that the people were paying attention to Philip's words. It's a direct contrast with verse 11 where they had previously paid attention to Simon's sorceries. But now the word of God, what Philip preached about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, that's what they believed. Verse 14, they received the word of God. And so we can see that the Spirit, as he powerfully works, works through the word. Just as the people of Israel in the Old Testament were to pay attention to the words of the prophets as they were commanded in Deuteronomy 18. So now they heard the words of the great prophet who had been foretold in Deuteronomy 18. This word, the word about Jesus, that's where the power is at. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. The spirit of Jesus uses this word to overcome the local cultural phenomenon in Samaria But the Spirit also uses this same word today, overcoming the power of evil. This is great news for us today, isn't it? Because the Spirit of Jesus Christ is superior to sorcery. The Spirit is sovereign over all the spiritual forces of evil. It's great news for missionaries, for men like Pastor David and his wife Erica as they go off to Papua New Guinea. As they work there on the front lines of the gospel, working in cultures where the power of witchcraft is evident and greatly feared by many communities. The Spirit is superior. This is great news for pastors and elders who are working with the Word because they know that the same Spirit of Jesus is able to transform hearts and lives. The same Spirit is able to turn brokenness into beauty through the Word. And it's great news for all of us, brothers and sisters, because we know that this Spirit is able to use our words when we witness of the hope that we have in Jesus, just as the early believers did in Acts 8.4. For all of us here, it's unlikely that we'll confront sorcery in our Western context. But our society is still influenced by the power of evil. People promote what is evil and call it good. Think of homosexuality in the Pride Month. But brothers and sisters, we don't need to be afraid to stand on the truth of God's word because we know that the Spirit is able to overcome the power of evil. And this same Spirit is able to work faith in us, to strengthen our faith when it is weak, to conform us increasingly to the image of our Savior. This is the power of the Spirit. If you want real power, get the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we can see that the power of the Spirit was so, so that it could overcome the power of sorcery, the power of evil. We can also see the power of the Spirit in a second way in our text, that he's able to come an age old, overcome an age-old division, a long-standing rift. Because as we keep reading our text, we notice something very strange in verse 14, that the apostles in Jerusalem sent Peter and John who came and prayed that they received the Holy Spirit because he hadn't fallen on them yet. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, how can this be? Because they believed in Jesus. How was that possible without the working of the Holy Spirit? Well, we have to say that the Spirit had been working in them. That was how they believed in Jesus. That's why they believed the message from Philip. But they hadn't yet received the special gifts of the Spirit. Remember the special gifts that were poured out in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The special gifts that also came to the Ephesians when they received the Spirit in Acts 19. Gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues. It was almost like a, a mini Pentecost that happened here. These were gifts that were present in the early church. We also read about such gifts, for example, in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. So the Samaritans had believed in Jesus, the spirits had worked in their hearts, but they hadn't yet received these special gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, etc. So why was that? Because at Pentecost, these gifts came straight away. They believed in Jesus, they were baptized in his name, they received the gifts of the Spirit. But here it seems that the Spirit waited before bestowing these gifts. The gifts were held back. And why was that? Well, it was most likely because of this age-old division between Jews and Samaritans. We heard about that. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. You see, if the gifts came straight away, there was a danger that the church in Samaria would have thought themselves to be self-sufficient, that they would have remained separate from the church in Jerusalem. They might not have accepted the apostles as the foundations of the church, or the Jerusalem church also might not have accepted the Samaritan believers as brothers and sisters. So there was a danger that this rift would never be healed. But now we can see that the apostles, the foundation of the church in Jerusalem, they play an important role in the expansion of the church into Samaria. Perhaps you remember what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1.8. He said, You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they've been his witnesses in Jerusalem, and now we can see them carrying out the next stage in this gospel expansion. Now the gospel is going to go out also to Judea and Samaria. And so we see the apostles as Jesus' witnesses responding and authenticating the work of Philip by going to Samaria. And we can also see that this potential divide between Jews and Samaritans is avoided The apostles are Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, and they're his witnesses in Samaria as well. And so the church remains one. And further, Peter and John, after they've been in Samaria, now they could go back to Jerusalem. And they could tell the church there about what was happening in Samaria. About the the work that God was doing there in Samaria. And so a rift was avoided, and unity was maintained there would be one church just as there was one spirit. The spirit who is the powerful and sovereign spirit is also a spirit who works unity. The unity in the Jerusalem church that we heard about two weeks ago at the end of Acts chapter four. The unity that we heard about last week, which was maintained when they chose seven men to serve tables to avoid that problem between the potential The problem which had the potential to divide the church in Acts 6. Now this unity we see here is also maintained as this gospel continues to spread. The Spirit continues to provide for unity in the early church, even as it expands into Samaria. What we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the need for unity, the call for unity. And we see it again in our text this morning the Apostle Paul, he says to the Ephesians, to walk worthy of their calling, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit because there is one body and one Spirit. Well, the Spirit works this unity and we can also see that the special gifts of the Spirit show to us that Jesus is continuing to spread His kingdom throughout the world. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. So the gospel is now expanded out from Jerusalem. It's come to Samaria, and it's on its way to the ends of the earth. The gifts that we see in our text are proof that another step has been taken, that Jesus has taken another step in gathering His church. The Spirit pours out gifts, in confirmation of this groundbreaking reality. So as the gospel spreads in Samaria, the Spirit overcomes sorcery, overcomes this age-old division, and we'll see that He also overcomes Simon's sin. Because when Simon sees these gifts that come through the laying on of hands, his eyes pop out of his head. His mind just goes back to those days when he drew crowds of people to himself, to the money that he made with his magic. And he starts calculating, "Oh, if if only I could do what Peter and John are doing. Imagine the gold I could do then. Imagine the retirement home I could get in Florida. Imagine, oh, the possibilities are endless." And so he asked Peter and John, "Can I buy your secret? What's your price?" It was quite common for magicians to share secrets with each other, to write enchantments in the bookstores, in books and sell them at the local bookstore. And Simon slipped back into this way of thinking. He slipped back into the way of thinking that the power of the Holy Spirit was just like these other powers that he used to manipulate. Rather than bowing to the Spirit, he wanted to buy the Spirit. He thought that the Spirit could be sold rather than being served. And into slipping back... In this way of thinking, Simon hadn't given up his own cultural framework. The way that he used to think still dominated his mindset. He was trying to fit the gospel inside his own beliefs, rather than allowing the gospel to shape his entire outlook on life. So he was still dominated by the pagan way of thinking. And further, Simon wanted to buy the Spirit for his own gain, For his own selfish purposes, he recognized the great power of the Spirit, and he wanted to use that for himself. And this is the danger behind Simon's offer of money to Peter and John. But the Spirit cannot be bought, brothers and sisters. The Spirit is sovereign. And so the Spirit knows also the intentions and thoughts of our hearts And so Peter's response, even though it may seem harsh, it cuts right to the heart of the matter. Verse 20, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Peter and John told him his heart was not right in the sight of God. So the spirit not only has the power which was so coveted by Simon, but he is also able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He sees what's inside of us he saw what was inside Simon and he sees what's inside you as well. Well, brothers and sisters, we're also in danger of cultural accommodation. You see, believing in the gospel requires a complete transformation. Rather than conforming to this world, we are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Rather than accommodating the gospel to our Western cultural beliefs, we're called to live Distinctive gospel shaped lives, as Paul says in Ephesians 5 You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Because we might not have sorcerers or witch doctors in our Western con- culture, but this doesn't mean that our culture is good, inherently good, that it doesn't need any changing. Just walk down the streets in town and see the rainbow displays. I even noticed that there was one, a crosswalk, which was going to be painted to be a a rainbow, celebrating gay and lesbian lifestyles. Or just think of how materialistic our culture is, focused only on the things that we can see. If, If other cultures around the world place too much emphasis on the spiritual world, surely our culture doesn't place enough emphasis on it. So we live in this world, brothers and sisters, we're surrounded by worldly influences and and we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to live by his spirit, to live distinctive, spirit-filled lives. And we do that by immersing ourselves in the word of Jesus Christ, the same word which the spirit used in Samaria to transform hearts and lives, the word which is all about Jesus, our Savior. The word of God is living and active. And as we've seen, it is also a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Just as the Spirit enabled Peter and John to discern what was in Simon's heart, so God's word pierces our hearts. And it shows to us where we're conforming to this world. It shows to us those areas of our lives where we need to be transformed. And here there's also a word, especially for those in ministry, I mention this because even if you're not doing formal ministry, then you can pray for preachers and all who are in positions of ministry. Because Simon wanted to buy the power of the Spirit for his own gain. And, brothers and sisters, this is a temptation for anyone in ministry. It's a temptation for me. It's a temptation to make ministry a self serving thing, to preach for my own glory rather than making God's name great, to make my name great. It's a temptation. Simon's sin can become my sin. So brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray for all of us who are in ministry. Pray that we would truly be servants of the word, never failing to believe in the awesome power of the spirit and never turning that power of the spirit into a self-serving thing. It's a real temptation. Well, we don't really know what happened to Simon after this story. Some church fathers say that he was a, the father of a heresy in the early church. We don't really know. But brothers and sisters, he re, he's recorded here as an example. An example to show to us the power of the Spirit. An example to warn us from trying to manipulate the Spirit from our own benefit. And as we see the story of Simon the sorcerer this morning, brothers and sisters, we can see the super, superior power of the Spirit. If you want real power, get the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a power which cannot be bought or manipulated. It's a power which is able to work unity through the greatest of rifts. He is the spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus has sent to gather and preserve his church. And as we see the gospel expanding into this new layer from Jerusalem, now out to Samaria, we see that Jesus is continuing to care for his church. By his spirit, he overcomes any barriers. Through his spirit and word, brothers and sisters, Jesus will continue to gather his church. Praise God for his spirit, for his sovereign spirit. Amen.